0: The Business Growth Podcast by legendary entrepreneur Dan Bradbury
1: gives you the best strategies to grow a profitable, sustainable company that isn't dependent on you. Whether it be how to hire and
0: lead a world-class team, business finance, marketing, time management, growth through acquisition or maximizing your company's value before you exit, this podcast is for you. And now, your host for the Business
1: Growth Podcast, Dan Bradbury. Hey guys, Dan Bradbury here. In this week's special episode, we have a peek inside a recent mastermind meeting and the results of Ricky Singh from Evergen Sower. In this hot seat, Ricky shared the key factor that took him from averaging less than £50,000 per month in revenue just two years ago to over a million pounds per month in revenue this year, with the end result being he now personally makes more in profit than the company used to do in revenue. He talks about how he went from running the business himself for six, seven, eight, nine years to employing an ops manager and how that changed everything. And also, one little tweak that many people would overlook that added back £64,000 in profit in the last three months alone, plus much, much more. You're going to love this interview, and Ricky is one of my private Mastermind members. So if you like what you hear and you want to learn how to apply similar strategies to your business, go on over to danbradbury.com forward slash next. Next up, please give a round of applause for Mr. Ricky Singh. <clears throat> so, Ricky, for those that don't know, um, uh, give us a... Twenty seconds. What what your business does?
0: Okay, so we sell solar predominantly to homeowners, so it's a B two C business. Um, we operate a, a direct sales team, um, and we cover everything from marketing through to sales and installations and aftercare.
1: And give it, give us a bit of a context for the size of either how many on the team, and and obviously the business has grown radically. So kind of revenue, team size. Where was the company a few years ago, and wh- wh- where is it? Where is it scaled to?
0: Okay, so uh, quarter one in twenty seven, sorry, twenty seventeen, we're doing about one hundred and forty k turnover uh, in that quarter, January to March. We probably had maybe sort of two, three salespeople, uh, me and another chap in the office uh, running the kind of ops. And then the same quarter this year, we hit three million in revenue. Um, gross profit at 908 <coughs> and netted 186. And we've got a team of about 26 in sales. Well,
1: first of all, that's worthy of a round of applause. So, uh, and obviously, I want to make sure we talk about this uh, very significant shift that's ha- happened in the business. But before we go into that one, what allowed the company, what, what, what was the distinction, Ricky, or what were the, the kind of the key the key parts that triggered such significant growth over a few years, they kind of 20x revenue and profitable growth as well. What what were the key factors, do you think?
0: I was basically running the business myself for many years because the business has been going for maybe, I think about nine years now. And uh, we were always hovering around that couple of hundred K, 500 K bracket, and it was always really tight. Um, So I kind of took a bit of a risk at that time, was a real big risk to employ uh, an ops manager. And he's actually somebody I knew um, worked for me in sales. Didn't really want to be a salesman. Went and got another job in operations somewhere else. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'm ready for him now. So I offered him a salary, which he was happy with. Took him on. It was me and him. And then slowly, just very carefully, recruited the right what I thought were the right people. So.
1: And what did it? employing him as an ops manager, what did that free you up to do? Because I guess that's why it was a risk, because he was taking on some of the jobs that you'd been doing, I'm guessing. Exactly,
0: yeah. So he would obviously take on, and then he's better at the ops than me. You know, I hate, hate ops. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, and he really loves it. So he was really, really happy doing that work. Um, I enjoy kind of running the sales teams, uh, doing marketing, branding, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was able to then recruit more salespeople. Um, We got to a team of about five and it then became um, a good opportunity to hire a sales manager, which was again another great because dealing with them, you know, too directly and being the boss at the same time, it got to the point where that was a bit difficult. So I took on a sales manager Um, again worked out really really well um i left it and left it until i kind of found the right guy and that was really vital without him um like we wouldn't have been able to succeed so what dan <coughs> you've taught me on a players and that resonates big time because without the we've only got a few people there's only give you a perspective on numbers in the office we've only got six people delivering like Facilitating that that business, um, and the rest are all you know, subcontracted fitters, which we've got to manage. So we we try and keep it quite effective, and to do that, you need good people, accountable. Scorecards are implemented now. Various other things. Good man.
1: So so uh, and now uh, one of the reasons why we, we felt that you uh, needed to be on this panel is because there's been a very significant change in your industry in the recent past. So perhaps. Just in brief, just to give them a favour um, as to what's this, uh, what's this kind of asteroid that's hit planet Solar in the in the last few months, uh, and therefore why, why has the business had to shift so radically?
0: Okay, so basically, it's always been sold on the um, the subsidies that a homeowner receives for fitting Solar, so it's kind of like a return on investment proposition, um, and that's. That's how it started that's how it picked up pace and that's how it's always been delivered
1: so um, before that so effectively they were selling solar on the basis of the subsidies that you get so you, you're making money it's a return on investment over time
0: that's right so what happened was last last year they the government announced that they're going to take away the tariff altogether so there'll be no more subsidies that, that'd be the end of it and the date for that to happen was March 31st this year and,
1: um, and what happened to Industry, as in revenues, generally across the industry.
0: Jesus. So, number of installations in April, nationwide, amongst all the companies, fell by
1: ninety-five percent. Ninety-five percent drop across, in new across business the across the industry. And, and uh, just think about that. I mean, while that may not ever be that sphere in your industry, sometimes there's external factors. You can do everything right. Ricky was really a, a fast-growing, very profitable business. And then there was this massive radical change, but you've dealt with beautifully. So what 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 um, what have you done to kind of pivot against that significant change in landscape?
0: Thanks, by the way. I don't know about that being beautiful. We've tried <laughs> to do what we can. Um, so basically provisioning was, was a key thing. So as we were kind of turning over money, um, in fact just to step it back a bit, taking more time to actually work on the business allowed me to look at leakage because leakage you know is is severe especially with subcontracted fitters stock all over the place
1: and i know what you mean but just go. what do you mean by leakage
0: leakage uh too much kit being used that doesn't work give me another one loading the vans up with too much stuff just because if it doesn't work you want to safety and then we we lose track of what's going on so uh, we we put procedures in place which basically made the subcontractor liable For for everything, so if they lose or break anything, doesn't affect us. Um, And I was able to monitor how much leakage we were able to save because they were able to tell me what they've lost. Yeah. So they took the hit for us. Uh,
1: Just before you give the number, this is so critical because even if you're not in a business that uses materials, when companies grow quickly, often the owner loses track of it, but uses it as oh we're growing quickly, it's fine. And I, I normally, that, that the term Rick uses leakage, normally that, that lack of efficiency is just all coming off your bottom line, r- right? Which actually inhibits your growth because then there's not the additional profit and cash flow for growth or something that restricts it. So, what was the
0: so qu- leakage? <laughs> Quarter one this year, uh, 64K, just what they know about. Yes. Um, I reckon they're probably out by another 20 grand.
1: Yeah, so there's just basically 64k saved because of these procedures. Okay.
0: Mm. Um, and that was through basically just having a bit of time and, you know, being a bit fearful of, obviously it's risky, growing at such a rate, and, um, you know, I could just see there's going to be holes everywhere, so I was just trying to plug in the biggest ones first. Um, so yeah, so that was that was really good. And the provisioning <laughs> allowed me to obviously take. Take time to look at provisioning, so we kept the cost down. We didn't sort of move office or do anything drastic because, although the you know it's good being in a good, uh, successful period in your business, it's always a risk because the landscape changes so fast, especially in my industry. Um, the provisioning and hearing that in sort of meetings we have here (coughs) allowed me to kind of write, okay, so I've got to set some money aside. I had the three-month operating cash flow in mind as a, as a target, and we hit that. So, so what did
1: you practically do? Was it weekly? Was it monthly? How, how and, and how uh, very tactical, level. how did you do it? Were, were you doing it? Were, were you delegating it out to your finance person? What Was was it money set aside every week, or were you doing it differently? How were you siphoning it off and provisioning cash?
0: Um, there's no like big secret to it. It was just basically spending less money. And then... Um, <laughs> looking at where the biggest expenses were, like marketing for us, sometimes we spend, you know, like a lot of money. Every week we're spending like ten to twenty grand. So we're looking at if we can save a couple of percent there and nick a couple of percent here. Do but something. And,
1: and how was that done? Though was it were you engaging with a member of your team, or were you just constantly looking at and asking the question? Were you? putting money saved aside into a separate bank account or was it just all accruing in the main account? What was the, what was the process which caused you to consistently stay on top of leakage and stay on top of expenses?
0: Um, okay, so we, we kept it all in the same account. It's just we monitor uh, the marketing on you know, on a live basis on, on, the, on our Google Sheets. Everything's API'd into there. Um, so it's not very sophisticated, but it's enough to give us a good idea as to what's going on. So I'd love to have a more sophisticated answer for you. Is good. But it's good, it's it's gritty. It's a bit, you know, but it's basic and it works. Well, the so. point is,
1: dialed in though. I mean, how frequently are we kind of like looking at data? Was it was it monthly, <laughs> daily. weekly, daily? Right. So like, it's constant. And prudent.
0: also, the, the the sales manager was. Um, I put him on bonus for marketing spend versus jobs fitted. So he was always, you know, and he's, he's pretty on on board with that anyway. And I've got the the call handlers in the office all on a little bonus because I knew a few hundred quid here and there you know would save me and the business thousands which it did so it's more like a cost cutting and cost awareness exercise leakage leakage awareness
1: right and then you're aligning the bonuses so the team align with the overall effectiveness I guess
0: Yeah, so it's kind of self policing really so put the incentives in place Um, they wanted the money we had constant reminders on boards Uh, whatsapp groups like okay if we can cut that now we're nearly there for the quarter that means obviously don't forget you're going to get this this and this so it's always kind of reminding people um it's it's all sales anyway so they're they're target driven people um so yeah i think the key thing there was self-policing
1: how do you find so many contractors to deal with fulfilling that many jobs
0: as a major part of the, the success story really so we The the chap, David, was hounding me for quite some time, and uh, he was always like, look, I'm very loyal with the team we already have, um, but we'll bear you in mind. And when that team slipped up, I gave him an ultimatum, they didn't negotiate, so I cut him off, gave him the work, and he was a man in van at the time, Uh, and he grew with us, (laughs) and he had the appetite, and he was young, it was the right sort of time for him. Uh, so, so is
1: it that David's the one that's ultimately hiring the contractors and you're just engaging with David's company?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it, again, it was the right person for, for us at that time. So without him, again, we wouldn't have done half the, the work. That so, we did. In, so
1: in effect, it, uh, I'm putting words in Ricky's mouth a little bit, but he'll, disagree, he'll say if, I, if I'm off base that he found good contractors because he found the right person that was finding the contractors. So Ricky's not going, to I've got to find all these additional contractors Effectively, that becomes David's problem. And David, in this case, is a separate company. He's running the the installations company, but Ricky's engaged with them heavily and their Mm -hmm. success is dependent upon each other. Ricky's company effectively sells the work and subcontracts to David's company to fulfil the work. All right, great. So
0: he's uh, he's, he's on a weekly retainer uh, of about... Five hundred and fifty quid, and heavily uh, on on fit bonus. Um, the commission only. We had a obviously discussion yesterday about sales. Indirect sales is mainly, I think, I'm. Um, it, it is mainly commission based, mm. <laughs> commission only, um, and you do get retention. Some of my sales guys have been with me, you know, like, well, say some two, three of them have been with me like five years. So, um, so yeah.
1: What you process, I suppose, Ricky, as in because I know it was t- it was discussed yesterday a little bit, and again, it's healthy, it's good. I like it when there's different points of view, fr- especially from the front of the room, about how how to do things. What what lessons have you learned? Because r- fast growing company, commission based sales force, some people and it's obviously working for you, but some people go, "No, I've tried that, and it's a nightmare." What what is it that you do differently than some perhaps that allow you to? Get people that can perform, because commission only is only good if if it's working, right? Uh, I've been in B2B
0: as well, so I was, I was actually in recruitment for ten years. I had a company doing recruitment as well. Um, that was B2B sales. Without B2C, so you're actually going out to the customer, selling within their home. Um, it's it's that differential. So B2B definitely got to be employed. In my view, I agree with with uh, Dan yesterday. But uh, B to C, you know, Windows, whatever you're selling in the house, typically 99% of the industry works on a commission-based
1: only, because those guys are, it's a tough gig. Um, but how do, you, how do you get the good ones? How do you, have you been successful in attracting the good ones versus the people that are, you know, they're going for commission-only jobs because they can't get anybody to pay them more money because, and they're getting what they're worth?
0: It's, it's actually hard to get them, because the, the good ones, always going to be in work and they don't need they don't have cvs <laughs> you know because people in the industry will know them they're like oh yeah that guy you know and they will call them and, and it, they kind of dictate where they go the good ones it's only really the average or bad ones that are going to have a cv they're not very tech savvy sorry <laughs> but, um, and,
1: and have you done do you do anything to practically seek them out or are they seeking you out
0: yeah so we we, we actively kind of pinch them from competitors Good there you go.
1: See, see uh, th- that was a great gem, right? And, uh, and I would say my experience is not uncommon. The best people probably are working for somebody else already. You know what? I want to be dialed in with my competitors, which I was trying it yesterday. I want to be best friends with as many people in that company as I can be. I want to know before their boss knows if they're unhappy and thinking about leaving work. Right? Because then you can, if appropriate, you can you can dial into that, and that becomes your opportunity to uh, give them the chance to seek better employment elsewhere. Uh, how, how are you adapting? And for clarity, um, the company's grown over multiple years. We're not saying there's not been an impact for this, but Ricky's stayed profitable despite sick, uh, uh, upheaval in the industry. How are you adapting or taking advantage of that? Ricky's probably the because because an additional point would be to say what percentage of your competitors have gone broke in this like
0: 75
1: 80 uh, percent lo- loads of these companies are just disappearing subsidies have changed therefore companies just disappear yet Ricky's a still here but not just still here actually stay profitable okay so how have you how have you adapted what's allowed you to still be here beyond provisioning and stay profitable
0: yeah so we it's quite simple again we just modeled the uh, the customer proposition prior to the the, the drop happening. <coughs> so instead of dealing, instead of kind of like being afraid of it, I actually, you know, I hate to say, I actually, I'm happy that it's happened because every time there was a shift, it would cause massive, you know, peaks and troughs in the business, That's why the numbers are so lumpy. And when we make a loss, it, it, it's it's heavy. <laughs> and um, now with no tariff, it's like. Uh, a, a level playing field and you can actually build slowly uh, and more sustainably. So, and, and that's ultimately what I want, you know, uh, a, a sustainable business. So I think once we got rid of the fear, because the consequence and, and the certainty of it happening was absolute and the damage factor was massive, a, a, as you've seen, but once you've once I accepted that and um, kind of like lifted the spirits of the, of, of the staff and so on, because I knew that we'd provisioned three, four, five, six months worth of operating costs, no problem. Then actually able to look at modeling the customer proposition and and, and look at, right, would I buy that? Okay, no, let's go back to the drawing board and keep adjusting it until the model works. And it's like, okay, we can make that work. No problem. And you retrain the salespeople and readjust your marketing, readjust your pitch. And then it's trial and error to see where you need tweaking. And that's what we've been doing in the last couple of months.
1: I love that. Give it up for Ricky. Hey guys, if you like this week's episode and you want to find out how you can get the tools and achieve similar kind of results in your business, go on over to danbradery.com forward slash next.